Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the Hospital Finance Podcast. Tax-exempt organizations, especially hospitals and health systems, face a new tax reality under our new tax reform law. To clarify the impact on these entities, I'm joined by Michael Peregrine, a partner in the Chicago office of McDermott, Will, and Emery. Michael represents corporations and their officers and directors in connection with governance, corporate structure, fiduciary duties, officer-director liability issues, charitable trust law, and corporate alliances. Michael is recognized as one of the leading national practitioners in corporate governance law. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be with you all. So, Michael, your firm recently published an article that looked at uh, the impact of the new tax law, and I'd like to just walk through a few of the key points that you made in there and and have you break those down for us. So first, um, the country's largest tax-exempt organizations will now find it more costly to recruit and retain their top talent. Tell us about that. Well, I think the underlying issue here, as many of your listeners are already aware, is that the New Tax Act incorporated an annual excise tax on compensation of uh, nonprofits that exceeds a million dollars paid to any of the covered employees, and that's a defined term. And obviously, there's going to be a a lot of of technical issues that will be worked out by the IRS in terms of proposed regulations on how this will actually work. But the the hidden jab to the nonprofit tax-exempt healthcare sector is that while this excise tax was intended to place the exempt organizations on a par with publicly held companies as it relates to the deductibility of high compensation amounts, they're actually in a competitive disadvantage to the private, non-publicly traded companies. Uh, Tax exempts have to pay a 21% tax surcharge, this new excise tax, for comparable salaries for comparable positions, but the private companies that are getting into healthcare on a very regular basis don't. So that while we may be on a par with the publicly traded companies, we are absolutely at a competitive disadvantage because we need to pay this excise tax, they do not. And so when we're talking about a finance team working with the board to identify what the compensation for a senior manager should be, and you're taking into consideration uh, that this 21% excise tax, uh, you have to figure out, well, how does the cost of this tax work into our financial structure? That's one issue. How do we pay this? Where do we locate these executives? And how do we, what efforts can we take to reduce the tax? But the other issue is when we're out there recruiting and retaining comp, uh, high quality, competent executives, we need to be mindful that we are competing on an uneven playing field with the private companies. And again, as I said, we all know they're getting into healthcare on a very regular basis. They don't have to pay this tax. And, and this is one of those issues where I think that, that Congress, we knew what they were doing with respect to the, the level playing field, but it doesn't look like they really figured out that they were actually putting the nonprofit sector at a disadvantage. The question will be ultimately, do they care? Will this get fixed? And I, I don't think we can count on that. So the next point that you made in the article was that advanced refunding bonds have been repealed, but tax-free bond financing otherwise remains available for Section 501c3 organizations. Can you break that down for us? 
Well, you know, one of the things that I think came out of the blue uh, in December uh, when all this stuff was coming together uh, was the uh, effort to eliminate taxes and bond financing for 501c3 organizations. And many of your listeners followed this, uh, the evolution of the Tax Act very closely. And ultimately, what happened was that advanced refunding bonds have been repealed, but tax-free bond financing otherwise remains available. So uh, we, we know, again, advanced refunding bonds eliminated. What, what, what is left, existing bonds will still be able to be refinanced, provided that they're callable at the time of refunding. What was eliminated by the Act are only refundings where the bonds are not yet callable at the desired date of the refunding. But like so many other aspects of the Tax Act, Mike, we want to take a step back and ask ourselves the question, where is this headed? Why did this arise in the first place? What did the lawmakers, the tax drafters in Congress, have against tax-exempt bond financing? And so in terms of you know projecting forward capital planning in the future, Obviously, I think many of the people listening in this podcast, if they are finance executives at tax-exempt organizations, are going to be looking towards other access uh, vehicles to capital. Are we looking at taxable financing now? Are we looking at investments from private companies? How are we accessing the capital? Are, is the tax-exempt bond market a real long-term viable uh, option? And I think that's the structure. That's what, what's going on right now. Because, again, this came out of the blue. What was the basis for this attack? And will, will, is this just the beginning? Will ultimately all tax-free bond financing ultimately be eliminated? I think that is the concern for health care finance managers. Where is this going? And should we now be hedging our bets, so to speak, by exploring capital financing alternatives in the taxable market? You also noted that tax-exempt organizations with unrelated businesses – Mayo additional tax. Uh, what does that mean? Well, the UBIT has always been the accountant's dream in, in terms of the, the, the question of what is and what is not unrelated business income. It, it's always been a thorny topic. It is even a more thorny topic now as the nature of, uh, of health care changes and inpatient hospitals are on the decline in terms of their utility and, and health care systems are getting into more uh, different types of delivery of care. So what is related to the charitable purpose and the nonprofit purpose of the uh, uh, health care system is a moving target right now. The UBIT laws have always been designed to basically even the playing field where uh, tax-exempt organizations are competing with for-profit tax-paying organizations in activities that are outside of their charitable purposes. You pay, they're unrelated, you pay a tax on that. In the past, a tax-exempt organization could aggregate, you know, roll up all the profits and losses from all its various unrelated businesses and pay tax only on the resulting income. That's not going to be allowable going forward. Losses from one activity aren't going to be allowed to offset profits from the other. So you're going to see a kind of a siloing of unrelated business activities, and the tax professionals and the accountants will tell you figuring that out ain't so easy. And, and the, the underlying issue here, I think, Mike, the, is the question of what is, on a going-forward basis, uh, uh, related versus unrelated? Where does one activity end and another beginning, uh, uh, especially with respect to expense allocation? Bottom line, and again, big picture, the issue of unrelated business income taxation and the issue of what is an unrelated business activity now becomes an important uh, tax planning and finance issue, and this hasn't been the case for a long time. 
in the old days, back when I started practicing healthcare law, uh, there was a significant concern where the IRS was enforcing the UBIT laws vigorously, and there was some ex some concern that too much unrelated business activity could actually jeopardize your tax exemption. We're getting back into that venue now. We're not worried per se about too much UBIT jeopardizing the exemption, but we're talking about a greater focus on the question of what is a related activity, what is an unrelated activity, because again, the uh, the UBIT rules are now being broadened to encompass or encapture uh, more of that activity. And you mentioned in the article that exempt organization leadership should be prepared with proactive defenses of their exempt operations. I think that's really the, the, Mike, I really do believe that that is the ultimate takeaway for uh, healthcare finance executives from the tax bill last December. Uh, with you, know, you it, it's certainly important to look at all the provisions that actually made it into the act when the, uh, in late December. But it's more important, I think, and especially not only for executives but for the board members to to look at the big picture, and that is what was going on here. Uh, in many respects, the real story is not what made it into the act, but what was left on the sideline. But you had the specter of both the House Ways and Means Committee and the Senate Finance Committee, the two major tax writing uh, arms of Congress, uh, both introducing multiple sets of provisions that were highly punitive to tax-exempt organizations. Uh, many of them didn't even didn't make it to the final bill. For example, uh, there was a proposal that went pretty far that would have removed the rebuttable presumption of reasonableness on which most tax exempt healthcare executive compensation arrangements are based upon. So the real question is why? What's going wrong? Where did this come from? And you could say it was a revenue generating device, but there was clearly some kind of concern, bias, uh, worry in Congress. Uh, that large tax-exempt organizations, including large regional and national healthcare systems, were getting closer to the point where it was difficult to justify charitable status, where the, they, were, they are so large that there are certain members of the tax writing committees in Congress who felt, um, are, we, are we good stewards of the, uh, the public fisc by extending these giant organizations special tax exemptions? And, and while we're not going to take away 501c3 totally, maybe we're going to whittle it, whittle it down uh, in areas where we can. Like we've talked about, we're going to target some of the areas where we're particularly concerned. Executive compensation, advance for funding bonds, UBIT, things of that nature. Uh, so the real question, uh, I think, for boards and executive leadership is, why are they mad at us? Well, what are the elements of the way we conduct our businesses um, that they're concerned about? And most importantly, how can we demonstrate that we in the tax-exempt hospital and healthcare sector uh, are different than our, uh, our colleagues, our peers in the for-profit public company, private company sector? Uh, and this means, I think, a concentrated effort in a couple of ways. Uh, the board and executive leadership needs to spend more time, I think, talking into the, what is the elevator story? What is it that we do as an institution, as a system that's worthy of tax exemption? How are we different than our for-profit counterparts? What do we do with respect to our individual decisions and collectively that is worthy of tax-exempt uh, protection? And to be able to say that on a regular basis, to be able to communicate that at all levels so that we, that people uh, and healthcare consumers and their elected representatives and the IRS understand that there is a distinction between the delivery of care and a tax-exempt model and a taxable model and what those distinctions are. 
Uh, at the same time, it's important for uh, these organizations to ramp up their compliance activities with respect to uh, the special tax provisions that relate to charity care and relate to community benefit, which have been in, um, uh, on the tax laws for a number of years, and where the IRS, this is the 501R provisions, as many folks know, because the IRS is very focused on this. Senator Grassley and Senator Hatch have been pushing this as well. Uh, as, a, as a compliance matter, it's very important that the uh, tax-exempt industry in healthcare is uh, is up to date with with respect to 501R compliance because it's the practical side of the tax exemption coin. Uh, that is the specific section of the tax code that Congress enacted a few years ago to make sure hospitals were providing a charitable service. But the, broad, the other side of the coin is the broader policy focus. What are we doing to merit tax exemption? And I think in many respects, while the individual aspects of the tax act are very important to be knowledgeable about, the, the the higher purpose, the greater policy perspective of boards and exempt hospital leadership is, we need to we need to make our case and we need to do it quickly and comprehensively and persuasively, or we're going to be looking at additional uh, congressional efforts to cut back tax exemption in the near future. Michael, do you have any other parting advice for hospitals? I think that the concept of tax planning now takes on an entirely new focus, not only in the compliance area, but also with respect to the uh, uh, Office of the General Counsel and Board Executive Leadership. It now becomes a more major issue when in years past, Mike, I, you know, I think we'd all uh, uh, acknowledge that over the last five to seven years, the IRS exempt organization function has been uh, less active publicly. Uh, but now, in, in over the last year and a half, you've seen two hospital uh, tax exemption revocation actions. Even though in unusual circumstances, there's still you know two revocations when in prior years there haven't been any. So all of a sudden, tax planning and the choice of entity and and how we justify our tax exemption and how we choose to engage in new ventures becomes an issue when it hasn't been in the past. So for the finance executives, for operational executives, for strategic planning executives, and for board leaders, you've got to add tax planning back into the equation where, frankly, it hasn't been that important in years past. Michael, if someone wanted to read more insights from you or learn more about your organization, where can they go? Just come to the website at uh, McDermott, Will & Emery, and there's a, uh, a they hit the icon called McDermott's Take on, tax, on the Tax Act. And that'll get you all the details you need. I think the other thing to, to monitor, Mike, is where the IRS goes in this. They're just beginning to tackle the development of guidance on the, the exempt organization provisions under the Tax Act. So uh, I'm sure all of you, the folks listening, are home subscribers to the various tax publications and are avid readers of the changes uh, in the exempt organization tax law. But in, in all seriousness, I think it's to monitor uh, over the next year, what the IRS does with respect to regulations intended to implement these laws that you and I have been talking about today. Michael Peregrine, thanks so much for joining us today on the Hospital Finance Podcast. Thank you, Mike. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss on the Hospital Finance Podcast, or if you'd like to be a guest, drop us a line at update at Bessler.com. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.